First Kings chapter 22, a very interesting passage of scripture I'll read for you and let you let it rattle around in your mind a little bit and think about it as we uh, look at the end of Ahab, which had been prophesied, but also the, the purpose of God. First Kings chapter 22. Read verse from verse 15 down to verse 23. Then came the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you will tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep and having no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that as we look to the word of God and consider a difficult passage to understand in our way of thinking, may we see our majestic God as the orchestrator of this world, even the controller and the supervisor it will not let evil go as far as it would desire or it is want. And yet, Father, also teaches about our hearts. Teaches about our need for your grace and your mercy. Teaches about your justice. Teaches about your righteousness and teaches about your love. I pray that you'll direct our hearts as we share together in the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The reason I say this is a difficult passage is because we don't often think of God having a counsel such as this. And it's interesting to observe what the commentators say concerning this passage. Some are very plain about it, and they simply go to a very simple explanation, which is, you know, it, this is probably an allegory, uh, much like what uh, Micaiah had already said. You know, go ahead, just like all the rest of the prophets, go ahead and go on up there, it'll all be turned into your hands. It could be an allegory of an explanation to say, let me illustrate how bad it is that you're following false prophets. I think it's probably deeper than that. Uh, certainly, as we search through the scriptures and look at the behavior of Satan in the book of Job, he would be one who would be known as a lying spirit. He's the adversary. He's the, the one who is the slanderer. And so certainly there is nothing above him. I know there's nothing below him, beneath him. He could do all kinds of things that would be against the purpose of God, and yet always under God's supervising control. God will not let him do anything more than God says he can do or give him permission to do. And yet we also must understand that there's a nature within man that's being illustrated here. And the Bible is replete with this. You go through the Word of God, and yes, we talk about free will. 
Free will is the kind of thing that you're free to do what your will would make you or cause you to be thinking and doing. And so technically, there is no such thing as a free will. None of us have ever had it. You don't have a free will. Now, my children in my household uh, grew up thinking that they couldn't wait till they were free. What happens when you get free of mom and dad? Well, bills start coming due and car accidents happen and little things go on and challenges take place and, you know, all of a sudden it's not really free anymore. And then you think, well, I'd like to be free from a rent. So I go buy a house. What do you get? A tax bill. Is there such a thing as free? Do you really own any? I mean, honestly, as we look at the, the way we think, we think freedom. But freedom always has responsibility. It's always that way. Well, technically, free will isn't really so free. You don't have a mind that is free of limits, do you? Not at all. I mean, we're still surprised at all sorts of things. Scientists are baffled, according to the news uh, headlines yesterday, by the, world, uh, the, the universe's biggest black hole that they've discovered. How could this be? It's bigger and beyond anything we imagined. Why would they say that? Well, because we're never beyond the limits of our mind. Our mind is limited. So your free will? Sure. But it's still limited. It will always be. And the, the reality of Scripture is that sin is a limiting force within our will. In other words, we are free, but we're free to act like a sinful human being. Sinful human being might be a good one who says, you know, my free will allows me to be a churchgoer. It allows me to hold, withhold from doing other evil things. But still, there are ways in which your will is tainted by sin to such a degree you can't even recognize it yourself. And we'll see this with Ahab. Ahab has been a recipient of the view of the, the majesty of God. Fire falling from heaven? What of us, who of us have seen that? Uh, God's provision uh, of protection of his prophet uh, away from the hands of Ahab? Uh, coming to the place where he is convicted enough that he is ashamed he got caught, and so he walks humbly before God, and God gives him mercy and says, you know, you're going to die. We've got to withhold these other things from you that I have promised will happen. They'll happen to your children. And God honored even an unsaved person's repentance as such as it was. Ahab has known all these things, and yet Ahab is going to go to his death despite this warning of why he's hoodwinked by a lying spirit. You know, it's like the uh, rich man and Lazarus. We read in there that the rich man who was in hell looked over and saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and he said, would you send him back from the grave and warn my relatives? And he says, they've got the law and the prophets. Though one rise from the grave, they wouldn't believe. And what it's telling us here is that though we like to think in terms of free will, we are actually captivated within our will. Though we may not recognize it, we're captive. And that is where human beings exist. And the reality of God's great grace is that he will take those who've trusted Christ and transform them so that they are free from having to follow that will, which is the flesh, the old man, the old nature, and give them the freedom to honor and obey the Lord. So yeah, there's freedom. It is liberty but it's liberty that comes with a responsibility, just like we were doing in prayer. We have a responsibility as awakened believers to understand the dire consequences of a world that rejects God. The dire consequences of the headline yesterday that there was a, a, a homosexual 
pretend wedding at West Point. How long can a nation flaunt God's law? The fact, believers, is this. This nation can't seem to figure out right from wrong, and it's forgotten that. We as believers are, are hurt and torn apart by what we see happening in our world. We shouldn't be surprised by it. It's written in the scriptures what happens when man puts God out of his mind. For some to think that America has some righteous standard of goodness that doesn't have to have a recognition of goodness described and defined by God, they're, they're whistling in the dark. They don't understand that what God has done has given us a great nation because of humility before God. When you remove God from the picture, all those goodnesses go away. Look at what we're doing to our elder citizens with our health care program. Uh, a person now can't go to the doc his own personal doctor more than three times, once every three months. So that seems to be the way it's going. We're not honoring the image of God that's put into man, it's, though it's marred by sin. Why does this happen? Why can't our society wake up? Well, because their free will isn't so free. It's sinful. And believers are awakened to understand that. But because we are, the obligation is to be a defender of the gospel, a promoter of the gospel, and also be an interceder for your nation. The only people who can really see clearly ought to be Christians. Sad thing is there's a lot of Christians asleep. So I think our text of Scripture will give us some interesting insight. And we'll also spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter 1 as the Lord allows. Our text tells us that there's an alliance that's struck in verses 1 through 4. We find the king of Judah and the king of Israel, that northern and southern two kings, get together. And as they get together, they establish an alliance. And Ahab says, you know, there was land that was promised to me by Ben-Hadad that he has not given back. Will you go with me and defend uh, the interests of Israel, this northern ten tribes, against the Syrian king and this hegemony of that king that had gathered together the, the city-states? And of course, he says, yes, I will go. Verse 5, we find the seeking of the mind of God. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. It's what they technically were supposed to do. They were supposed to say, what's God's will in all this? Verse 6, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. And you may scratch your head and say, well, what about, is this the prophets of Baal? No, they're dead. These appear to be prophets of the cult that was set up in northern Israel to keep the Jews from the northern Israel from going to Jerusalem to worship. And so they were probably some sort of a calf-worshipping yet conglomeration with Jehovah and other aspects of, of syncretism, pulling together pagan gods and pagan religion, but something of a uh, holding on to some Old Testament law that had been given to Israel as a nation when it was complete and full and together. And so he says to these 400 men, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, obviously, Jehoshaphat, the godly king, and he was godly. There is much to be read about him in other Old Testament texts that talk about his godliness and what he had sought to do for the Lord. God honored and had a relationship with Jehoshaphat, not with Ahab. Jehoshaphat recognizes these, aren't, these are not legitimate prophets. And so he has to ask this question. 
Verse 7, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said, Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Notice it's the same words that we've already read in verse 18. Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? It's got nothing to do with the nation. This is typical of Ahab. And you know what? It's typical of the free will of a sinful heart. It's all about me. Why are you stopping me from my freedoms and what I would want to do? Why are you always uh, uh, spoiling my party and the fun that I would like to have? Why about, it's all about me. Isn't that what the sinful heart does? It feels that any restriction of the law of God is to be thrown off. And so where is Micaiah? He's imprisoned. We find him being sent back to prison at the end of our story before the death of Ahab. But he's imprisoned because of his truth. He perhaps is the one who said to Ahab, you are going to die because you let Ben-Hadad go. It's possible. Some commentators think that that fits the, fits the bill. Verse 10, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So they're waiting for Micaiah to be brought. Bring Micaiah quickly, he says. But Zedekiah, one of these false prophets, happens to be something of a showman, and he has had two iron horns made. Could be two little button horns like you'd think of a button buck, but something he could hold up there in his head. And illustrate the fact that he said, with these horns, you will gore the, uh, the Syrians. You will defeat them. You will win. You'll be victorious. So he's a little bit of a showman, a spokesman at this point. He will also not like Micaiah and what Micaiah has to say. He's probably picking up on one of the prophecies of the book of Deuteronomy that illustrates Ephraim's power that God would give Ephraim. And so in a sense, he's saying, you know, this promise of God, it's going to be yours. It's all yours, Ahab. You will win. You will prevail. Verse 13, then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Believers, do you understand the purpose of a saint of God, a Christian? Speak God's truth. That is what you must do. Whatever his message is, that has got to be your word and your language. And Micaiah, regardless of the price, is going to speak the truth of God. We'll be tested with those things. We'll have to speak God's truth. And you will be tested on a regular basis. And the question is, will you? Will you speak God's truth? Micaiah says, whatever the Lord says, that is what I will speak. When he came to the king, the king said to Micaiah, shall we go to war? So Micaiah answers. Now, Micaiah doesn't lie. There's apparently something about how he says it that's obvious that he's mocking these other prophets, and with good reason. Believers, you have to understand that everything that calls itself a church is not a church, not in God's eyes. It may be organized as one. It may have all the officers that one must have. It may appear and have all the the uh, trappings of what a church is, but the reality is a church has got to be a living organism because there are saints that are born again there and it's got to hold forth the word of God and the truth. There's a need for believers, especially us Baptists, to wake up and understand that not all who say they're Christians are really Christians. 
We scratch our head and say, how can a Christian act that way or speak that way? That's a fruit test, isn't it? An unsaved person within their will, their free will, will speak whatever they want to speak that has to fit in with whatever their paradigm of understanding. But to an authentic Christian, it sounds and smells rotten because there's no life. There's no truth. Believers, this is not a judgmental thing, but it is something that clarifies your behavior and your walk. Understand that not all who claim to be Christians are. And that is sometimes what we have to battle in our old world as we witness. People say, well, why would a Christian act that way? Well, a Christian doesn't act that way. And you need to be willing to tell somebody that. Christians, if they're truly born again, will behave like their Heavenly Father. They will have that nature within them. And so we find this uh, response of Micaiah. He says, answers and said, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And obviously the king knows whether it is his demeanor, whether it is the tone of his voice, whatever it is, the king knows this is a mockery of these other statements. And you know, because Micaiah knew where the statement came from, he better mock. We need to mock sin so that the unsaved world can understand that sin is wrong. And if we don't speak up the fact that sin is an offense to God and will bring judgment upon not only a nation, but upon individuals, then we have failed. Micaiah mocks the lying prophets. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So here's Micaiah's response. I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let us each return to his house in peace. Literally, what he's saying here is that when the battle is over, God's people return home. The, the Jews return home. They will not be pursued. They will not be defeated. But they will return home when the king dies. They'll be scattered. That's a prophecy. And it is fulfilled as you go into the chapter. Interestingly enough, here's the king's response. Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? You know, you look at the free will of sinful men. They take everything personally. They take everything as if it's an affront and, and, a, and a diminishing of their power and their freedom and their rights. And so they respond as a why me? And they want to respond as well as if it's so personal. They lose any kind of sense of perspective. Micaiah responds with this story. And this story, I think, bears thinking. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, all the host of heaven standing by. That would be the angels. And potentially like in Job, that gathering place or time where Satan even comes before the throne of God and accuses the saints. So the Lord is sitting there, Jehovah, the Lord of the universe. The host is gathered on the right, on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Abraham to go, Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? Obviously, God had given a prophecy. It will take place. He will die. And when he dies, his blood will be licked up by the dogs. And his, the, the description here is that he will die. He will give up his life. And God will bring judgment upon him and upon his house. So one spoke in this manner. Another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward, came out from the rest, and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Satan always wants to do what's awful for human beings. He does not love those who are his children. 
Everybody born from the point of birth, every human being is in his family. He is their father until God redeems that person and brings him into the child of, become a child of God and gives him a son placing. You're born as a sinner under condemnation, under the law of God. And so Satan doesn't love you. Satan doesn't love anybody who serves him. And so here he is ready to accuse, ready to be a slanderer, ready to be a liar, ready to mislead, ready to destroy. And that's who he is, the great destroyer. Lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets, he says, I will go and be that lying spirit. And interestingly enough, the Lord says this, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Two things, he says, you're going to persuade him and nothing will dissuade him. He is going to be set in his way. Free will? Yeah, free to be a sinner. Absolutely. Free will? Free to die. Sure. Free to be satisfied with whatever explanation you want to come up with. That is the fate of every sinner who has never trusted Christ as Savior. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you may think you can see clearly. The reality is you can't tell what you're seeing. That is the darkness in which you live and breathe and you've known nothing else. Believer, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have been awakened and your eyes have been opened and that's why you become illuminated by the Spirit. You can see the truth and the reality of things. You may not be, we're not perfect in that, but you have the Word of God that guides. And so we have no excuse if we fall into sin. But understand this, that is the life from which you came. Don't forget the darkness and how dark it was. Don't forget the hopelessness and the helplessness in those quiet hours of the dark night when you are questioning everything you know. Why does that happen? Because Satan doesn't love his own. Satan desires nothing but to destroy his own. That's what sin does. It tears you apart. The problem is most of us are willing accomplices. We get ourselves into habits and into um, addictions that are all part of that destruction that Satan loves to wreak on people. So the Lord says, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. What a mercy of God, believer. The God would bring the light of Micaiah, who Ahab knows is telling the truth, and he knows this is the word of the Lord, and he knows that his end is coming, but he cannot change his course. There's a hardened heart. He has no real free will. Fascinating, isn't it, to see this? Hard to rectify with the way we think. Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? See, Zedekiah in his own darkness knows that somebody gave him a message that was go and you'll prevail. And he knows that somebody gave him the idea, some spirit gave him the idea of the horns. And so he knows that something led him. He thought it was God. And so he goes and strikes Micaiah, the real servant of God and prophet, and said, from which way did this spirit that I know I had come out of me to you? Where did this come from? It's mockery. Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. In other words, probably in the near future, when Jehu comes or 
one of the other kings and destroys the family of Ahab, this man would be running for his life. And that will be the day he will know. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, to Joash the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison. Feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction. Just give him bread and water, the least of what we can give him, until I come in peace. Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. He said, Take heed, all you people. There is this burden of heart to tell the truth, the burden of heart of people. There is no boasting in Micaiah's mind, but there is a burden of the word of God that has to be said humbly, forcefully, and with nothing but truth. And he's concerned about the people. Well, Ahab and Jehoshaphat go to war. And as they go to war, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, you put on your kingly garbs. You know, I think I'm going to, to disguise myself. We need to have a leader. Go ahead and go. I don't know if it was because he you know, wanted to hide behind the other king and see what God was going to do. But there he was, you know, in his armor, but not looking like a king. And Jehoshaphat goes out into battle. Ahab goes into battle. The uh, king um, comes, the, the enemy comes against him and they pursue Jehoshaphat, the good king. And as he's sorely pressed, he cries out and the soldiers know this isn't the king of Israel. This is not Ahab. So they let him go. And by chance, there's a guy who has a bow and arrow. He's got the skill of a bow and arrow, but he just decides he's going to send the bow out into the enemy. The Syrian pulls the bow back, draws it back, and lets the bow fly. The arrow fly. The arrow flies through the air, and it goes right below the breastplate and just above the little pieces of armor that made up the, the descending skirt of armor for the soldiers in their day. It goes right between the metal. And it gets him in the, in, the, uh, in the vitals. And so he has himself propped up, Ahab does, in his chariot, pulls himself away from the battle, and at the end of the day dies, his blood dripping from the bottom of the chariot. Soldiers were not disheartened until they did find out at the end of the day that Ahab was dead. They went home, were not pursued. And Ahab's chariot was taken and washed, and the scriptures tell us that as the water was washed out of the chariot, verse 37, so the king died, was brought to Samaria. They buried, buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot of, at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed. These would be the temple prostitutes, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. The rest of the acts of Ahab, all that he did, the ivory house which he had built, and all the cities that he built, are they not written? in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel. Ahab comes to an end. But why would he believe like he did? What's really the burden of this text? I believe it, it introduces to us what we find in the book of Romans chapter 1 about the description of really the free will, if you want to call it, of man. Free will to sin. Romans chapter 1. Let me take you there and show you a couple of interesting things from the text in the time that remains. Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, we read these words, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This section from 18 to the end of the chapter has three real descriptions, three real divisions. The first one is truth suppressed, verses 18 through 20. That is really why the heart of man is without light. 
real truth is suppressed. Look at our world. The truth that really matters is suppressed. Everything else that's glitter seems to be made to the notoriety of the day. The truth is suppressed, verses 18 through 20. Then we find the truth getting ignored, verses 21 through 24. And then finally, truth redefined in verses 24 through 32. So truth suppressed, truth ignored, and truth redefined. As we go through this little section, recognize this, that sin doesn't make things better. It devolves. You want something to describe our culture? You're going to find it right here in this text of Scripture. And if anything, we are living in days where we literally can see this, Christians. Something that's happening before our very eyes. How does culture, how does a society fall apart? Truth suppressed, truth ignored, and then truth redefined. Look at verses 18 through 20. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all irreverence, that's the word ungodliness, injustice is the word unrighteousness of men. Irreverence and injustice. Unsaved man cannot really be just without the intervention of God. And they suppress, repress the truth in the context or in the sphere of unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. And literally there it should read Godhood. Not so much an understanding of who God is and God's persons, but the Godhood of God. In other words, I was trying to think of this. If you think of cultures around this world, cultures that supposedly are not skilled and you know, current and modern, so to speak. Isn't it interesting that as you go through human culture, you don't really find a culture of atheists among the tribes. You don't find a culture of atheists in some nation from some, you know, era long, long ago. They, mankind just doesn't do that. But it seems to be when we put God out of our thinking and we repress truth, the truth of the power of God revealed in all creation, that we begin to see atheists pop up. And if anything, our culture is seeking to be more atheistic. It's not natural. It is not a normal thing, a normal human state to be atheistic. What he's telling us here is the natural human state, which is what we've found from all the tribes and all the groups around the world, is that there has been some sort of a religious recognition that there's a bigger power than we are. Doesn't always get it right, more often than not, does not get it right because we don't see God's, the Godhead displayed, we see the Godhood displayed. There has got to be a God. And that is the thing that is interesting about human nature, a recognition that there's a God. And we're the ones who ask, what about tomorrow? What about the future? That's a human being response. Our dogs don't think about that. Our pets don't think about that. The animals of the world don't seem to indicate any kind of indication of Anything more than where do I get my next meal? But man is unique in all of creation. And that's what our text is saying. The truth is repressed. And as we watch a culture devolve, it shows a repression of truth, suppression of truth. We also find the truth gets ignored. Verse 21, of course, 20 says, they are without defense or excuse. There is no excuse for anyone not to be able to see enough of God that the world condemns you. God is there. He exists. 
Verse 21, because although they knew, not God, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. The word thoughts is imaginations. The word futile, a fascinating word, means something that becomes aimless and never reaches success. Wow, is that not a description of our society and all the things we try in our nation? All the things that we're seeking to accomplish politically, we're at the edge of the fiscal cliff. We're in an impasse. It looks like the cities are opposed to the country people because the cities have turned away from God in a large measure. The country, I think, the country people also have done so. But at least we retain some vestige of what it was like in the days of Mayberry, if you want to call it that. Look at our world, all the things mankind tries to fix things without God become aimless. They do not come to success. They're devoid of success. They become futile, futile in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened. The heart is the ability to think, but the word foolish means not able to pull two thoughts together that make sense and work together, comprehend. It's the idea of pulling it all together and understanding the system. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Not only men, but birds. Not only birds, but four-footed animals. Not only four-footed animals, but snakes. Do you understand the devolution that happens? You put God out of the equation and society devolves. It doesn't get better. It doesn't increase and Spurgeon put it this way. He describes this section as being the fact that we are brought to a complicated ruin. It is complicated and becomes more and more complicated as we go by, as we walk away from God. These are pictures of a God-abandoned soul. There's darkness that begets deeper darkness, and that is what we find true of our day. Interestingly enough, when you think about what God does in response to this, there is this human nature that desires to control and say, I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be free will. But that free will is also within the confines of God's control of what he's going to do with this old universe. All you need to do is read the story about Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron. If you go to that text of Scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter 7, verse 13, chapter 8, verse 15, verse 19, verse 32, chapter 9, verse 7, 935, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Chapter 10, verse 1, God says, I hardened Pharaoh's heart. Verse 20 of chapter 10, I am hardening his heart. God is not surprised by your evil. God is not surprised by our world's darkness. God is in control. But your free will, if you have it as an unsaved person, is within the context of what your free will will drive you to do. We are lost and concluded in unbelief. And we'll find things that satisfy this God-sized emptiness within us. But those satisfactions drive us to our own demise. How does this happen? Well, he says in verse 24, as truth gets redefined, Therefore God also gave them up. Three times we find gave them up. Gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, 
who is blessed forevermore. Amen. What kind of creature? Well, myself. Ahab says, why is he always talking about me this way? See, I told you he was going to tell you about me this was going to happen. It's all about us, the creature, rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up. This is literally put into the control of someone else. Control of another, God gave them up. To vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust. This is not just an appetite, but this is a raging inferno. Burning out. Burned in their lust. For one another. Men with men committing what is shameful. That's literally the word deformed. That's what God says about our nation and our willingness to see the deviation of that which is against nature. You know, these are not things that are pleasant to say. They should break our hearts, but they should drive us to our knees. Because even as Micaiah said to the people, watch out, that's our job. Look at our nation, look at our world, look at the destruction we're bringing upon ourselves. Look at the way we're turning ourselves into a laughingstock around this world. This world needs to have a strong America. Not just because America needs to be strong, but because there's got to be godliness. There's got to be goodness that comes from a rooting in the word of God. And that's what we're walking away from. And we're redefining truth. Committing that which is shameful, receiving themselves the penalty of that deviation which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Literally, a reprobate mind. See, this is where free will is. If you don't know Christ, this is the kind of mind you are saddled with, even in your supposed free will. It is a mind that's debased. To do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. There's that secret Slandering, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, there's a swagger, inventors of evil things, the machinations of the heart, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is a tough section to read, to digest, to embrace, but understand where it came from. Look back at verse 18, for the wrath of God. Well, why does he put for there? Well, because it brings you back in the context. Look at verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God. Okay, we need to go further back. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Why is he saying this? We've seen fours all through here. Well, that means we still need to go back. Verse 14, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Do you understand the reason Romans 1 is here? It's not to say, ha ha, I told you so, world. 
God hates you. God doesn't like what you're doing. Instead, it's to tell us as Christians and inform us as, of, as Christians, as our responsibility as those who have been awakened to the truth. What is your job? Proclaim the gospel because you're a debtor. You are indebted to Christ. He saved you. If he gave you new life in Christ, then you have a mind that's been transformed, renewed in the word of God. Now, a mind that's been enlightened, then yeah, there's work for God to do. But as God works upon your heart, your burden of heart is to get out there to a lost world because the wrath of God is revealed. Because the blessing of God has been revealed in salvation. The blessing of God is given in the gospel. The blessing of the truth is I'm ready to preach. Why? Because I'm a debtor. Because the wrath of God is coming. Saints, we look at our text in 1 Kings chapter 22 and we think that what a horrible story is there. But it teaches us something. Even Ahab, who should have known better, couldn't because he wasn't born again. What do we do with this? What's the application? We are awakened to the truth. We see the deviation of this world. We know the ugliness of being addicted to the sins of this world. We know what it is to live in darkness and have no answers. But Christians, what are you doing about it? Are you interceding for this lost nation? When your heart is burdened down, do you just want to turn it all off and say, I just need to get away? Or do you turn around and say, Lord, how can I be an intercessor for this world? How can I pray for revival? Who is there I need to witness to? I know they won't understand unless you break through this wall of resistance. But Lord, how can I be faithful? That's the burden. Like Micaiah's burden. Tell the truth. Tell what God has said. No matter what the cost, be courageous. But in so doing, cry out to those who will hear. Even if Ahab does not, there's a whole crowd there. Even those false prophets, anybody, anybody who's willing to listen. The wrath of God is revealed against a sinful world that's getting sin more sinful as the day goes by, it seems, because we're repressing the truth of God. A lot in this text. I want to give you an opportunity to bow and pray. Speak to the Lord about your soul's need. If He's challenging you in some way, uh, speak to Him and worship Him. Yield to the promptings of the Spirit. If you don't know Christ, trust Him as Savior. Let's pray and then I'll conclude. Father, you see and know all hearts. You know that you are going to have victory in this world. You will not fail. The tendency may be for us to want to close our mouth and not speak up when it is the appropriate thing and the Spirit of God is prompting us. Father, I pray that we would recognize that we are a voice crying in the wilderness. Yes, there are believers around this country and I know there are believers who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and we thank you for that. Cause us, Father, to treasure what a local church is to be, a place of sharpening and equipping. Cause us as well to treasure the fact that the saints of God are a community of faith that walk with you and are to encourage one another in our service before you in this lost world. Pray that you'll strengthen our families. I pray that if there's a Christian here who is allowing themselves to be under the control of sin in some way, 
that you will break that bondage and that you'll give them courage to be faithful, that you'll bring conviction to bear. Cause us all, Father, to walk with you with a great sense of boldness in thanksgiving. If there's one here as well who does not know you as Savior but is living in darkness without the gospel, though they've heard it and maybe perhaps today you've begun to prompt their heart, I pray that you'll awaken them to the truth, that you'll plant within them new life in Christ, regenerate them, I ask, break their resistance, help them to see how they've been tied up in the futile, tied up in the laissez-faire of the day. Though they think they're good people, I pray, Father, that they will see that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before the gaze of a holy God and that our iniquities have driven us away like the wind. Lord, I pray that they would come in humble obedience and trust you for salvation. Father, I pray that they'll be able to do so because you have given them life in Christ. I ask that you would help us to confess our sin, help us to encourage one another. And Father, perhaps too, you're prompting us to recognize someone who's in the bonds of sin, and of course, Satan. Help us to be a witness and a testimony, burdened to share the gospel with the lost. And may we intercede for this great nation, the land of our birth. In Jesus' name, amen.